0: So, previously, uh, on the previous occasion, we were uh, discussing Evan Ezer Simon Zion. The premise was that we were discussing the Isser of Habal Hagoya and the specific discussion in the Nesakalim of whether there's a, an additional Isser of be uh, Be'ishtoy when the Goya is an Ishus Ish to a Goy, whether we recognize the Ishus between a Goya and a Goya. Obviously, there's some concept of the sort with regards to enforcing Shevim, but does it have any significance at all for a yid when a yid is coming in interaction with that? Uh, from there, we went off into the shiva of the rivash at great length. The rivash was dealing with this early version of this question of Jews getting married. das And the rivash went a great length to argue that should not count for anything, there certainly should be no chashash of kiddushin, there's no kiddushin in the uh, Christian ceremony, there's no kiddushin in the yichud that followed, due to all of the context that led up to that, there's no reason to think that they were miskaven, like and that was the Rivash's argument, and then we concluded with a bit of a discussion about how uh, the parallels, the parallels we see to the more contemporary discussions about civil marriage, and how this began as a very earnest discussion about 150 years ago, uh, quoted from the Chalkus Yaakov, uh, well, we quoted from Yisroel Velt by way of the Chalkus Yaakov, who summarized a bit of the discussion in the decades that preceded uh, post-World War II. Uh, we also mentioned the Raghetshava's unique shita, we touched on that briefly in the Chalkus Yaakov's, some of the Chalkus Yaakov's response to that, And honestly, we really just touched the tip of the iceberg uh, in terms of this huge, huge topic, this huge discussion of civil marriage. Of course, I I mentioned in passing that uh, Machayi Shalayim is Mitzayim to Rav Moshe and to Rav Henkin, but of course, uh, famously for those in the the United States, uh, the two big opinions on the matter are usually said to be Rav Henkin and, and Rav Moshe, and Rav Henkin was of the more unique opinion that civil marriage is cause for concern, there might be a Shash condition, there might be uh, a need for a get. Nemesha was the one who said that that's not the case. So that discussion continued as late and as recently as uh, post-World War II here in the United States. I was told by someone who's involved in Gittin that, in fact, were a case of civil marriage to come before a bastin, were the couple to come before a bastin to ask what to do next, that Pateh Din in the United States are for the Shita of Rav Henken, which is very interesting. But there's, there's so much more, and of course the Raghachar there's so much more to be explored, and in fact, uh, subsequent to uh, recording that, I came across far, far more material on this subject in general, both on the topic generally of rabbinic responses to civil marriage, as well as the Raghachar specifically. So there's a lot of very interesting material, and I think would be Kedai to follow up on the previous one and to explore some of what's out there on this topic. So we'll see what we get, to, so we'll see how much time uh, it takes and what we cover in that amount of time, and uh, we'll be flexible as we go. So the first thing I want to talk about really, though, is I came across this very, very interesting and, and what looks like an important work, Seder Kidushin Vinisuin. Acharei Chasimah Shtalmed Mechgar History Dogmati Bedine Yisrael Me'ez Avraham Chaim Freiman. So this is, I guess we wouldn't call it a sefer per se in the, the Yeshiva Shalenga. We'd call it a book, but it is a book that is full of halachic makaris, traditional halachic makaris and makaris and halacha and takanos that relate to kedushin v'nisuin. Over the generations, and as the title says, specifically after the what happened in a thousand plus years subsequent to the What developments were there? What took place during that time? A very ambitious work. It has somewhere between three hundred and fifty and four hundred pages. I was looking a bit into the uh, the author, who's the author of Ram Chaim Freiman. So he has a, an entry on Hebrew Wikipedia. Um, He was born in 1899 in Moravia, and he was killed, sadly and unfortunately, in April 1948 in Israel in an event that is known, and this has an English Wikipedia article as well, the Hadassah Medical Convoy Massacre, which itself is a little bit of history that's worth mentioning, giving it a moment. The Hadassah Convoy Massacre took place on April 13th, 1948, when a convoy escorted by Haganah militia bringing medical and military supplies and personnel to Hadassah Hospital on Mount Scopus, Jerusalem, was ma- ambushed by Arab forces. 78 Jewish doctors, nurses, students, patients, faculty members and Haganah fighters and one British soldier were killed in the attack, including 23 women. A Very, very, very terrible event for the nascent Jewish state at the time. And uh, Avraham Chaim Freiman was unfortunately one of those killed in this attack. But leading up until then, he died at, uh, prematurely at the age of 48. But leading up until then, he was a very, very prominent scholar of, they call it Choker Amishpat Ha'ivri, so a scholar of the history of traditional Jewish law, halacha, but within a certain context of its applicability to uh, israeli law perhaps today it's even referred to as mishpat Evri in english a famous category in scholarship so he was a leading scholar in that field and this work sikadoshim b'nissuin fits in to that interest to that focus i'll just note that he's also known for having published a lot of material relating to the rambam he published an edition of the Chivas of the rambam including a number of chuvas that were printed for the first time from manuscript. He printed the chuvas of of ben Arambam, and uh, it's actually, he's a name that you come across in Svarim. I know in uh, Lekuita Sichas, occasionally you'll see uh, tshuvas ha-Rambam Freiman, of Rambam ben it's a name I've seen around, and I never stopped to actually ask myself, uh, who was this who uh, whose edition of the Chuvas we're citing? So it's this very same Avram Chaim Freiman. so it's a name that's perhaps, if you pay attention, to to references, you might have noticed his name, and at least seen the name. At any rate, this particular work on Kedush was published in Tav 1945, shortly before his premature death, and it looks to be a very thorough, comprehensive, groundbreaking work, especially for its time. Uh, in his own introduction, in his Akadama, he states that scholarship, Jewish scholarship at the time, tended to focus on the Talmudic era, and there wasn't anything uh, discussed the development of halacha, where halacha went, where Jewish practice went, in the the centuries subsequent to the Talmud. He emphasizes that he dug very deep into the Sifrei Absakim, the Sifrei Atshuvos, to get a bit of the theory which you can call it perhaps, but he also focuses a lot on Takanas and Haskamis. There's so much documentation on particular Takanas that Kahilas had, and that tells you a lot about what was going on on the ground and how uh, Jewish communities responded to that. He points out that uh, looking at this topic, you really see how the Jewish world was very, very, very much splintered as the centuries went on and different communities and different cultures went in very different directions in terms of how they shaped the way things like marriage worked and even the halacha of the how the halachas of marriage were applied he also notes that uh, there's the phenomenon that in today's uh, lingo might be called ashka centrism or if i'm saying it correctly the idea that the ashkenazim tend to get the center stage at the expense of others and he says that uh, that is very much the case in this Tchumab halacha as well. There's so much rich material from the Sephardim and from the Arabian Jews that uh, certainly unknown to the Ashkenazim. And yet, if in a certain sense, the Jews in the Ottoman Empire had more autonomy. They had more power and control over how they governed themselves. And there could be a lot of interesting material there which he is uh, seeking to emphasize equally, along with the Ashkenazi Makarras. He then divides his work into four sections, four tkufas. The first tkufa, from the Gaonim till Girish Svarad, and divided by geography. Tkufa Shnir, the second tkufa, is from Girish Svarad till the Gzair's Tach. The third tkufa, from Gzair's Tach until Jews lost their autonomy. And the fourth tkufa, is Jews having lost that autonomy, right? So as we know, Dafka in the last 200 years or so, as various uh, states started to modernize or started to assume the form that's more reminiscent of what a state is like today, Jews tended to lose the ability for the Kehillah to run its own show, and Jews were expected to come in line with uh, the common law, the law of the land, and this applies to different countries in different ways, So that is its own fourth category. And the topic that we are coming from here, the topic that we're interested in at the moment, is uh, one that belongs to that fourth category, uh, secular law, secular marriage being introduced, and Jews having to contend with that, that is a product of the Jewish Kehillah no longer controlling uh, the marriage of Jews within the community, even if Jews identified with the community, and this option of just showing up and getting married through the court, getting married through uh, through a government clerk, etc. But before I get to the section of his work that focuses on the topic that we're coming from, I do want to take a look at his own summaries. He provides summaries at the end of each chapter of each tukufa about what we can say transpired and developed during that time. And there's some really fascinating material just within those summaries to just give you a general big-picture sense of the history of kedushin and Yisuin in Halacha and in Yiddishkeit. Very, very interesting material. So let's start with his first period, Tz'kufas HaRishayim. So, right away, there's this very, very interesting point. Everyone who learns Gemara knows that kedushin and Yisuin are two separate things. They take place on two separate occasions. The Kedushin is the engagement, but it's not engagement as we know it today. It's not Tshiduchin. The meant that they have a Zika, they have this connection of Baal the Ishtoi, she's an Eshes Ish, ish uh, very much so in terms of uh, you know, Chiyu misa, etc. And that was the original form of engagement in, in Yiddish it sounds like, from Tanakh as well. And obviously we know we don't do that anymore. We know that the Kiddushin is Nesuin happen under the Chuppah, at the wedding in one shot, and we know that there's a shidduch instead. The shidduch takes place a few months earlier, and the shidduch is considered somewhat binding, but you could break a shidduch, at least as we know it today. So, wh- where does this come from? When did this happen? Often I've, I've heard this question, people express and wonder, you know, where exactly did this change take place? So, this is the first thing that's discussed here, and he says that. If we were to summarize this period of time, there's some major, major changes and differences in the Seder of kedushin and Isun. And the major one being that uh, these menhagim in different lands brought the erusin and Yisuin together, the kedushin and the Chuppah, and turned them into one ceremony with just a small interruption. He says this really was developed in France and in Germany towards the end of the days of Rashi. So it's around the time of Rashi. I remember... Discussing this in the past, about whether there's a mucker in Rashi for this way or for that way. Maybe you still see both in Rashi. So uh, this this rings a bell, even without uh, looking at the Macarius as he brings them. He so says this was at the end of Rashi, apparently right after the Gzeyas Tatnu, the Crusades of 1098. And in the nearby European lands, uh, province, north Italy, most of Spain, it spread throughout the 1100s. And then, of course, Erisin is replaced instead by Shiduchin. So Shiduchin was essentially invented in these lands, and Shiduchin was given power. Now Shiduchin, he calls it, it has Zikas Momoin instead of Zikas HaIshos. Kiddushin bound the the future husband and wife to be with a Zika of Ishos, which is a lot more severe and can cause problems if uh, something uh, goes wrong in the interim. So instead, you have Shiduchin, and Shiduchin are powered by a Zikas Momoin. So both parties stand to lose some financial, some money on the line at risk if you break the Shidduch. That was originally, there was a knas, etc. However, he says, there was still a bit of a continuation of the practice of kedushin without the Chopo, like you see in Chazal, where any two people are having a conversation and it ends in kedushin. So it was still considered legitimate when the kedushin were done through a Shliach or since child marriage was still a thing, by the father of the katana accepting the kiddushin, he says. However, even in those instances, there became a new meneg. There were kiddushin shneim; they would do kiddushin a second time during the nisuin. So that way, because at that point is part of the chuppah, you don't uh, just like today, no one would ever consider skipping the harayat at the beginning of the chuppah. So it had become so accepted and so entrenched that even if they were still following the version of kiddushin from the Gemara and be through the father they would do a second kedushin at the Chuppah. However, this is only a certain part of Europe, and once you go south, or more east, so South Italy and North Africa and Israel and the Arabian lands, they were still doing real Kiddushan at this time. However, he says, there were still a lot of problems, and there are certain problems with kedushin that you might be familiar with, even from more recent Shalos Chovis right? You have uh, a bunch of youths are hanging out, and uh, boys are hanging out with girls, and then someone gets to talking, and they decide to make a joke, and uh, the boy gives a girl a ring, or gives her something of value, and they say, ha-ha, do I make and all of a sudden you have this major shiloh on your hands as to what to do now. Is this, is this for real? Is this serious? What are we going to do? So this is actually, and I'm sure he tracks it throughout the generations up until even much more recently, but Problems like this and related problems were abuse and taking advantage of the power of Kiddushin, which can still strictly strictly technically be done at any moment between any man and woman. Um, These problems were uh, major problems back then at the time, and you could do a Kiddushin and disappear and then go figure out what to do next. So... All the var- varieties of this type of problem were an issue at the time, and that's why you start seeing takanis and askamas from Goenim and Rishainim and all kinds of different geographic locations and different responses to this problem. And these problems are also the reasons for so many details of how we've come to recognize how a kedushin and a chuppah are conducted today. So, for example, one of the first uh, the first thing he lists is that it was a Takana that the Chuppah, the Kedushin, should take place in front of 10 people. In fact, I believe we noticed it in the Rivash. Rivash threw in something about the, the Nisun, Bifnei Asara. He didn't do the Kedushin in front of uh, two. He didn't do the Nisun in front of Asara or something like that. So where did this Asara come from? There's this Takana from the Go'ayinim, and then again in Spain, and in did it in other places, they said the it has to take place in front of 10 people. That makes it a lot more serious and ensures that uh, if you're at least, uh, you know, nominally adhering to the rules, nothing, no, uh, no illicit kedushin will be taking place. When you see that clearly, people have not assembled yet for the formal ceremony. Number two, today, of course, we know there's a, a rav. The rav is masadur kedushin. Where does that come from? Clearly, nowhere in shas. and shas, it's between two people. So, that's also one of the takanas. There's a takana that has to be the rav, or the chazanakal, the b'munayakal. There has to be some authority who's standing and overseeing. That's also a response to this, a chiddush. Number three, the family should be there. The family should uh, be present. These are all things we take for granted today, but if you learn the Gemara, you notice that there's absolutely no reference to any of this. This is all building in reaction, he says, uh, of course, it could be that the, the ceremonies for marriage were taking shape regardless for social reasons, but for halachic reasons, for communal reasons, for socio halachic reasons, these are all very important uh, guardrails putting, put in place to prevent more situations in which kedushin can lead to a problem. Another takana is to uh, have documentation. There should be a ksuba, there should be Ishtar Eirusen. Uh, it should be documented that when you do it properly. And of course, um, the thing we mentioned already, essentially, which is to not do kedushin in advance. So that's a major part of that as well. And uh, in some uh, locales, they also mention that you should uh, have a talk with the mikdash, have a talk with the groom, and find out whether uh, you know who is he, where, where where is he coming from, what's his story. So a lot of what we take for granted today. Uh, started to take shape at this during this period in response to these problems. And then he mentions the uh, m- the methods of enforcement: cherem, so, in different locations, or knas. Uh, in one location, there was even uh, pain of uh, threat of arrest. They could uh, detain someone if uh, they felt that he did kiddushin and he shouldn't have. It could be malchus in some places. They had whippings, lashings. And then he goes off into havkas Akidushin. As we know today, havkas Kidushin is a very, very, very controversial topic. And he already had an eye on this topic, writing about this in 1945. Of course, we know that havkas kedushin controversies in the modern era began even before 1945. So the way he summarizes it is that this was, there was a discussion about this in the time, the era of the rishonim. And the question of whether we can use, of course, Kedushin in a broader, freer way whenever we feel it's appropriate, whether it's only used in very specific, narrow cases, this was a discussion taking place in the Erev the and the way he describes it is not simply a theoretical uh, Talmudic uh, theoretical discussion, but uh, in a sense in response to these questions in a practical question of application, can we use, of course, as a solution for these many problems that tend to crop up or not. And he says there were Ga'in Ibovel who said very clearly that Chacham meant that every generation Chacham have the power kedushin. He says the Chachmei Vermaiza, the Chachmei Spira in the days of the Ravan and the Ramban and the rush were all of this view. And obviously there are others of another view, and that's somewhat of where this discussion originates. At any rate, that's what happens during that first tukufa. Jumping now to his second tukufa, which as we said is between Yiddish Svarad and Tach. so he says that was also a very rich period with a lot of development taking place during this time, so of course the Minig to merge the Kedushan with the Chuppah ceremony spreads to the south and spreads to the east, and Shadokhen takes over and replaces erison basically everywhere, almost everywhere, to the extent that there's a certain confusion, which some might be familiar with even from today. He quotes uh, Tshuva, where the Pesach writes, right? So I believe we know that the Rebbe was not to use the words interchangeably, because I think in modern Hebrew, they sort of carried over the old term of uh, erosin, muras, mureset. It's sort of the standard words in modern Hebrew to refer to an engagement. without weighing in one way or the other on whether there are condition or not. they just, as modern Hebrew sometimes tends to do, it takes an old word and gives it somewhat new meaning, changes the meaning a bit. So, in modern Hebrew those are the terms. A lot of from people I believe do use the terms and don't think much of it. I believe that was attack and not to use it because there's that association the chashash, don't why mention any word that has the that conjures up the association of Kiddushin. That's just in in today's uh, musagam. But back then it was a, a bigger issue. It was, and sometimes that created literal questions. Maybe the Rebbe was referencing these shuvahs uh, many hundreds of years ago when they heard that someone was an arusa. Wait a second, the shi'an arusa, because that's just the word we use, uh, a borrowed term? Or are we saying that they actually were kiddushin? There's been signed to a number of shuvahs that discussed this. Another thing he says was discussed then was the Hashash of sevloiness. We know the Hassan and common, they're engaged, they exchange gifts. We know the Rebbe also said to be nizr, when it comes to the gifts, maybe that the chassan shouldn't give it directly into the kala's hand, something like that, which also corresponds to this more or this earlier chashash, that Zivleinus itself, exchanging gifts, could be uh, seen perhaps as a form of kiddushin, and that would mean that every shidduch is automatically kiddushin, and uh, he says that they made special takanas without getting into the details, were sort of, they, they got around the problem, they put the problem of civileness away, that's not something we have to be concerned about. Obviously, it is okay to exchange gifts, like maybe like the Rebbe said, maybe without maybe trying to avoid giving it directly, so there's no uh, concern like that. But of course, the issues that we described earlier, the fact that we have these cases where someone does condition, uh, when he shouldn't have and creates a problem, those never really go away. All the takanas that we were talking about are meant to minimize the likelihood of it happening, but if a boy gives a girl a ring and says, a HaKadoshis, it still creates problems till today. Nothing can really change that. It's just how much uh, so, you know, social pressure can you create against you know, denormalizing it, making it uh, almost out of the question. And so that's uh, that, keeps on developing, there are a lot of questions, a lot of shayas, a lot of problems when things do go wrong, and a lot of takanas that are aiming and targeting this problem. And he says you see this happening concurrently, literally, across the globe. You see it in, uh, in North Africa, you see it in Syria, you see it in Poland, and Lita, you see it all over the place. And again, many of the same themes Kadushin uh, conditions should take place in front of Ten Yidin. And in some places they emphasize it has to be ten adults, can't be ten children. Obviously, this is not going to pass the kedushin if you don't do it. But it's just really, really pushing people not to do it the wrong way. Um, again, the warning, really not just that when you do it correctly that you should do the kedushin with the chuppah, but a warning not to be makadosh, not b'shash the chuppah. And you see this in the of kruka and the tikkunis of lita, tikkunis vada abaratzes. They keep on coming back to this and emphasizing, reinforcing, and again, supervision. It should be the of the Hashim, or the Chacham, or the Dain, or the Rosh or the Chazan Knesset or whatever the title or the uh, individual is, uh, as well as getting the family more involved, the parents, the relatives should be involved, should be approving of it, should not be happening behind the parents' back, and a few other things like that. And then, of course, he gets back to his big topic of, of course, Kiddushin, whether Kiddushin can be revoked or not, and again, he says there were some uh, early Chachamim who held that there could be Hafkaz Kedushin, they can make a Takana to be mafkia Kedushin if it violates the rules that have been accepted by the kahila. But you also see more and more of other Chachamim saying that we don't want to mess, we don't want to touch this whole Hafkaz Kedushin thing because of how seriously we take uh, Ishravacious Ish. And even if in theory maybe it's possible, but it's like really something we don't want to touch. And this is. This is a uh, phenomenon you find in Halacha, where the paiskem have some internal compass that tells them that this is not the path we want to go down, this is not the tool we want to use, and we're, we're essentially shutting it down. And he has special discussion for Rabbi Yosef Karo, the Mechaber's stance on this major question. He points out that in Simon Ezer, and in the Beis Yosef, the Mechaber says, I'm just going to list all the opinions of Rishonim without saying my own opinion, quotes a number of Mekaitis. He also emphasizes that there were important Mekaitis that the Yosef did not cite, which can appear to be a bit of an oversight, perhaps, meaning what would his opinion have been if he had seen those Mekaitis? Always an uh, intriguing question. And then, amazingly, in Shulchan Arach, which summarizes the Torah of Yosef, Kara completely skips this question, he says. It's as if Rabbi of Karo wanted to avoid addressing it. It was still an active question, still an active discussion, and his, the choice, his decision was to address it by not addressing it, by just avoiding it completely. At any rate, the G'dayli Chachmey Ashkenaz at this time, Marshal, Ramah, and Lavush, all tended to be machmir. They took the stance to be machmir on this question, and uh, the rest is history. That's that for the second period. Jumping ahead to his summary of the third period, which we said was from after the Xero of Tachvatat, so from the second half of the 1600s up until the modern era, you could say. So he says, at this point already, things start quieting down, settling down. There's not as much creativity, creating new exciting discussions and ideas. Things have already been put in place, so... A lot of the things we mentioned before are obviously in place now, and Chuppah and Kedushin are a lot more in line with what we are familiar with today. That's already become the norm. Um, there is still some development uh, in some of the details. He says, among the Ashkenazim, the uh, Mora de Asra's power over Kedushin, with which we are somewhat familiar today, really reaches its uh, power and strength during this time. And in fact, some places... They created the concept of Hataras ha-kiddushin. You have to go to the Rav and get a document that Permits you to go ahead with your condition You don't have a Shustri Makadosh without the Rav's prior approval There's also the Isra HaSagas Gvol This Rav is in charge of the kiddushin. If he's in charge, that means you can't be Masa Perhaps when we discuss about being Masa in today's context Since we don't necessarily see the Rav as being that powerful over deciding who gets married. So, could Taka be the reason why maybe the Yisra Saga's Gvul is also somewhat more uh, disregarded and dismissed in this day and age? Obviously, that's still pretty contentious, especially depending on where you are. But that's where these ideas come from. And uh, we mentioned earlier about the different people being present, uh, but really the concept of a Masada Kiddushin in the modern sense that the Rav is there running the show from beginning to end, and he runs through all the steps. That really takes form uh, during this period, or at least assumes that form in additional geographic areas, perhaps in Ashkenaz, had already, it had already assumed that form. But in other countries beyond, in the East, etc., the Masada role takes shape there as well. And as for the big topic of, of Havkoa Sakedushim, he says, at this point, it's mostly moot, and the discussion is not very active anymore at all. Obviously, Svarim still discuss it in a more theoretical sense, and maybe there is a rare instance here and there of a community uh, resorting to it, but it's not really part of the discussion in a practical way. And with that, we conclude his summary of the third period, and now we're ready to get up to the topic we're really here for, which is the fourth period and the question of civil marriage and the history of this halachic discussion. And I guess you can say all of the above is just by way of introduction on our way to, uh, to arrive at the topic at hand. So moving along to Freiman's fourth section. So the truth is really begins by continuing on the same themes of how uh, the Jewish community responded to challenges to performing kaddish and Nisuin, Uh, But not much uh, of significance happens during this period, I suppose. Uh, Of course, this is when he really hits on his uh, pet topic of Afqar's kedushin, and he presents it in a way that perhaps we wouldn't agree with 100%, and that's not the focus here, that's not what we're going to get into. But then comes this major discussion of this new challenge of Zivugin Shalei Kedas Meishevi Yisrael, and he divides this into four categories, Christian marriage, Muslim marriage, free-for-all, zivugin uh, chafshiyim, balik tekas, no ceremony at all, and civil marriage. And some of these issues, of course, actually stretch back and begin long before this fourth period, but he saves his entire presentation of all the aspects of this issue for here. And it's interesting to take a look first at how he uh, summarizes the uh, discussion over Christian marriage, for example. Now, as he points out, civil marriage was a much larger question because any Jew, once civil marriage was introduced, any Jew could marry, potentially marry, this way, whereas Christian marriage was not an option available to the Jewish community. If you were within the Jewish community, you had to marry in the Jewish way, and you could only marry in the Christian way if you switched, essentially, and you converted and were baptized then there was this discussion of christian marriage so all the questions of christian marriage only apply to meshumadim and of course the discussion launches with the tshuva of the rivash that we've seen uh charles Chuvas rivash some involved we're not going to repeat that and summarize that again but that's of course the first major discussion he points out that in fact the preceding tshuva in the Rivash Simon Hay is also rather similar. In that case, there was some kind of engagement, Edison, shiduchen, but it was done in a Christian way, and he essentially makes the same point, that he does not regard Christian Edison, or Shidduchin, or whatever you want to call it, like he says, uh, he doesn't really regard that as having any significance, to so certainly no chashash, kiddushin, there. Rivash was not the only one, during that time and place, uh, the... Uh, refugees to North Africa, from the Gzairas to discuss this. The Rashbats discusses this as well. And Rashbats discusses a different variation of this question. Rivash is talking about people who purely followed the Christian ceremony. Rashbats discusses Anusim that we're more familiar with from the stories, from the legends of Anusim who are trying to have it both ways. So, they actually were trying to perform Kedushim. How do they perform kedushin? So before they went to do it the Christian way, they would gather. They'd get Adem from the community of anusim, and to them these were, you know, these were their fellow Jews, and they uh, would do some kind of Jewish ceremony in private, and then they would go and do a public, non-Jewish Christian ceremony. And the question is, what about the kedushin here? And he actually argues that strictly speaking, the Kiddushin... With aid manusim shouldn't count as a legitimate kiddushin, and then the Christian marriage shouldn't count as legitimate kiddushin either. However, the big difference here is that the person does seem to want to perform kiddushin. He does seem to have good intentions. Part of the Rivash's argument was that this person clearly does not have any good intentions. He's a parutz. Etc. Etc. So there's no reason to say that he'd, uh, you know That somehow living together would be a condition. But in this case, where they do mean well and they are attempting to perform conditions, even if the condition ceremony didn't work, but perhaps there is a shila now as to whether whether the fact they live together uh, would mean that there's a Be'ilah, l'shem kiddushin that could be counted hake al pihalacha. If you look at the full set of Shut Ha-tashbit, so people might be familiar, there are Chuvis there, I think in Chalik Dalad or whatever, Chuvis from his descendants. Uh, so there are a number of generations of this Duran family, or Abanim, uh, in North Africa that continue dealing with questions relating to this community. So he says if you look there in Shut Yochen Ubayaz, which is uh, essentially about 100 years later, the Tkufas HaGedosh, you see a mention of the fact that the Anusim were still doing this practice. They were still attempting, to their mind, they were being Makadish, Kadasmashav Yisrael, privately, secretly perhaps, before they got married in the church. So it's before they go to the church. Uh, and then they would go and perform the Christian marriage ceremony. However, Spain is not in fact the only place where this was an issue. And there's also a tshuva of the Trumas Hadeshen in the 1400s in Ashkenaz where he discusses essentially the same question that there was a Meshomed who, when he behaved, lived as a guy, married Abbas Yisrael, who was also Meshomedas and they were married by the Gach and they spent two, three years together. And then she became from again Chazer Hila Das and now she... uh, Looked for a different shidduch, she wanted to have a yiddish shidduch and someone else was makadashir. Now the Shailah was, wait a second, she was living with a yid a meshumad. Can she just go and marry a yid now? Can she just become a balas shuvah and marry a yid? The Tumas Sadash says, I was matir, because surely she and that meshumad living as meshumadim never had this kavan of kedushin kidas, meisheh Yisrael. They're living together the way goyim lived together. Obviously they had the sense that they were exclusive to each other, and that's why they went to the Galach, to do whatever the Galach does. He says, however, that's not enough to say that there's a real marriage here, according to Yiddish or according to Halacha. We're not going to say, you know, when the person was and that, and he says, anyway, it was even when he was from, so, you know, this uh, idea that uh, are not exactly the... Uh, cream of the crop uh, to begin with, uh, even before they became a Mashumid. So we know who this guy is, and there's no reason to think that there's any uh, kashira kavana of kedushin here. So the Chumas HaDash was making essentially a pretty similar argument, it seems, to the Rivash, and saying that, no, we don't assume in a, in a true the uh, Mishumid situation we're going to the Galax exclusively, there, there's really certainly no reason to be chayshish and say that there was something there, L'Shem Kiddushim. Zoe, if she the a then she can just go ahead and marry someone, Yisrael. The next historical period when this became a discussion is actually not that much later. It says towards the end of the 1400s, there was, I would say, a little-known Shmad in South Italy. Jews in South Italy were forced to convert, you know, we're familiar with South Italy. We know Calabria uh, earlier this year in a different year, spoke about different regions of Italy and the Yisraegim, but this has nothing to do with that. But this is in South Italy, there was a Shmad, and this created questions of a very similar nature. And again, you had couples where they had only gotten married in the Christian manner. So he quotes a shiva of Rabdavar Akayin, the Radach of Corfu. He quotes another tshuva of Rabdavar Yom and Zev, Shut bin Yom and Zev who, uh, I believe, lived in uh, Greek territory, but not far, and Jews from uh, South Italy had ended up in that community where Binyam Zev was a paisek. Like we know Binyam Zev is his own topic, is his own uh, sugya. There is a historical controversy over his shalos at Shuvus. There was a historical controversy over him, his own psak, in his lifetime and it's carried over. There are certain achreinim that when they see mention of his Sefer, they'll react negatively, and that's really its own interesting discussion. But lemaisa he was writing Psakim at the time, and he's part of the discussion of the time. And uh, Rabbi Yom Zev discussed a case in which there was a woman who was married to a real Meshumed there in South Italy, and then at some point all the Jews were expelled, not only the Jews, but even the meshumadim were expelled, and they all uh, were spit out and landed uh, in his community in uh, the Greek lands, the Greek islands, and this Meshomed, even when he uh, had seemingly had no reason compelling him to remain one, but uh, Yiddishkeit was not for him, uh, but uh, the woman was uh, more interested. She uh, returned, became a Baal Shur, returned to Das Yisrael, and she, once again, like in this case as well, she wanted to marry uh, a Jewish husband, Kedos Meisheh Yisrael. And now the question is, does she need a get? And at this point, we're already further along in the process, and Rabbi Yom and Zev is able to cite the Trumas Hadeshen as precedent and say that, uh, similarly in this case, we should assume that she is not an a and she could marry whoever she'd like. So around this time, the Mabit has a big chuva about the Yerusha of the family of Dona Gratio, which sounds like its own... Fascinating historical chapter, who knows, perhaps for another time, but in Shut this is a Bit, and in the process he has to address these marriages between the Anusim, and he makes this point again. Uh the context there is just that these marriages don't count for anything. And he says, the Galach is giving them the ring. There's, there's no uh, ritual that could even be compared to kiddushin, which was one of the points the Rivash had already made. And in this case, he quotes the Rivash. He cites the Rivash as precedent. It seems that in the 1500s, the Church actually changed the ceremony a bit. And there's a tshuva of Gershon, who is a Talmud of Ramesha Alshech. This is a tshuva appears in the Shut Maharit Sahalon, and he writes, that uh, now there's even less of a ritual, there's even less of a ceremony when they go through the Christian channels, when they do in the Christian manner. The Galach says, you should know that now you are married according to Sidia Romana. You're married according to, and this is apparently a Latin term, which means roughly that it's being done in accordance with papal law. And the significance of this, he says, is that now there's even less then there was not the time of the and time of the, Rivas, the Galach did something, and now the Galach doesn't even do anything. There's no physical interaction between the parties. It just says "Divorim ba'alma." The Galach says, "You are now married. You are now husband and wife." The klal. There isn't even the slightest trace of kedushin here. One additional wrinkle to this whole parsha is that Anusim, who were aware that they weren't really married, kedas meishiv Yisrael. Having gotten married under the conditions that they lived in. Once they left, uh, around this time you had a big community of anusim, of ex anusim, anusim that would leave and return to Yiddishkeit. And there are a number of unique communities like this in different places. Uh, so one of the things that would end up happening was somewhat similar to what we're familiar with today with people who emerged from the Soviet Union and the like, they would then conduct a Yiddish. Uh, chuppah for people many many years after they had actually moved in and lived together, they would actually do a proper chuppah, and interestingly apparently they would actually bring their children, their children who had already been born from their union, they would bring them under the chuppah so that they, you know, they're all part of this Yiddish Shema, like now we're all getting married legitimately, and you are our legitimate children, and this apparently comes up in a and chova of Rav Moshe Ben Venisti in Turkey in the 1600s where there was a case of Anusim who had emerged, who had left Spain, and arrived in Livorno in Italy, and they had lived there for a bit, and then the husband died, and then she apparently went and married his brother, and the child was, wait a second, wait, wait, now they left Spain. So if so, now it's not so poshary. Even if you say that back in Spain they followed the Chukas and there was no Kiddushim, but once the Anusim leave Spain, their whole mindset changes, and now bo they're doing tshuva. So if they're still living together as husband and wife, now there's a lot more reason to think that there's kedushin on their mind. And having lived together, we might say that now there is kedushin here. So he was talking more Machmer in this situation. Framen concludes this section of the discussion by pointing out that these Halachas, these Mekaitas, the Rivash, is cited in the Shulchan Aruch, the Chalkas Yaakov that we discussed last time was alluding to this when he says that, you know, the Shaver is going up against the Shulchan Aruch, the in Sechid Rivash. So this is in Eben Ezer's Sumon Kuf Memtas. As Machaber writes, I think I asked once in a shir, you know, how many times are Nusim mentioned explicitly in Shulchan maybe that came up in the context of Choshed L'Gavikash, uh, so this is one of the places so the Vishf cited the Rivasht and the Lavush adds some of the Svar, as we know the Lovash does, that they didn't have this Kavana of Kiddush and Fakert. And the Rama also cites this again earlier in Avan Azur and Sem Khovav. That if a, a which is the term that Ashkenazim used when Mishamadim came back, Ein kan chashash klal. so this is a side But he points out that the and Taka mentioned that, wait, just like we saw earlier in some of these discussions, that it might depend on what the mindset of these Anusim was. If the Anusim were trying to keep Yiddishkeit and were trying to perform kedushin. And maybe even if the condition was not good condition, but maybe there's a lot more reason to say that, you know, Adama Yusubila's nos, and that was condition. So this ties together the different niqudis, the different points that we've seen in this discussion. The next section in his discussion, as you mentioned, is marriage according to Islamic law. Now, as he points out, there's a big difference here in that it's not a purely religious ceremony, it's actually essentially just the Islamic version, La Havdul of halacha, so it's a bit of a Kenyan, and it's the kind of thing that Islamic courts of law would allow anybody, even someone who's not a Muslim, to perform according to their halacha, lahavdul, their Sharia. So any Jew in theory who just didn't want to do a Jewish religious wedding could potentially show up there doing this did not indicate that a person was a mishamid to Islam. However, of course, doing so would still be considered a pretty major breach of halacha, yet to be a rasha in the eyes of uh, the Frim Ayyidin to do this. And he says, in fact, the Ar-Rambam was actually asked already about uh, Jews, or in this case apparently there were Mishim Adim, to Islam, who had gotten married with Dinah And apparently Barabbin had already poskened, essentially, similarly, that it should not count as Kiddushan. Uh, we're not going to go through all the material that he has on this topic. It's a bit more obscure. And it uh, doesn't that necessarily touch directly on the point we're heading to, which is the civil marriage, especially in, in Europe. Uh, I'll just mention one interesting shaila. he mentions, that uh, we mentioned that uh, the Tashbrites at ashbats had descendants who were also Rabbanim in that, that line, that family. And he mentions, in fact, that in Shut Yachnubayaz, there's a shaila that Rav Shimon Duran dealt with. And the shaila was as follows a woman who belonged to a Jewish Arabian tent-dwelling tribe was married to one of the members of that tribe according to their nimusim, according to the way they do things. And how do they do things? The man takes the head covering from the woman's head, he takes it off, he picks it up, and then they say, Aha! Now she's muirasses. That was what passed for a Kenyan In this particular milieu, based on whatever influences they had that shaped their uh, conduct and the way they behaved, so this had taken place in a particular instance. And then the woman fled, and now the shiloh was whether she is an aishas ish as a result of this. And the shimon duran responded that whatever they're doing is clearly not based on Aloha, it's based on nimusayagoyim chukaseim. So that would not be considered kiddushin. There was no nesina of kasef and Shavakassaf. And we're not just going to rely on the on the yichud because, as we know, that once you don't have the right k- Kavana l'shem kedushin, and you're following chukas agayim, so this side of the rivash that uh, we're not going to now inject uh, thoughts of kedushin into your mindset. He says that the pshimen son ptemach adds in a haga that based on this shiva itaka Matur, apparently there was an entire. Shave it at this point that had descended from this woman alone, if I'm understanding correctly, and there was a particular group at this point with a certain name, and the shallah was whether they can bob alcohol or not, and the conclusion was that uh, even though the this woman originally had run away from her first husband, but based on this shiva was determined that, that, that this didn't count for anything, and she had been entitled to marry someone else without receiving a get. You know, just a, a fascinating interaction here between these uh, Spanish expats who had landed in North Africa, who uh, in a certain measure were a hemshech of that Spanish-European tradition, interacting with these unique Shailas that arose apparently among the more Arabian Jewish tribes that were more native to these lands of North Africa. Very, very interesting. Like I said before, we're not going to go through the rest of the material concerning shilas that come up in Halacha relating to uh, Islamic marriage, but we'll just skip to his summary of this section, which is that, once again, it seems like most uh, Paiskim, when asked these types of questions, tended to say the similar point, that we're not going to count Islamic marriage as Kiddushin, as Nisuin, Kedas The next section here is what he called Zivugin Chafshiyim, so cohabitation without any particular legal, religious marriage framework. And, of course, this is something that we're actually very familiar with today as well. Uh, The Torah has something called a pilagesh. The word pilagesh itself, I think, morphs in meaning over time. The truth really is, I think, as we see that uh, even institutions like marriage uh, morph over time, as we saw the history of kedushin and Yisuin, and the way it's done but also the meaning of the of the union and the legal significance the social significance uh, even when you have the same word but often the meaning and significance can change and morph over time so you have this word pilagesh the context of the territory has a very specific meaning within i guess perhaps a more tribal uh, setup Uh, a wealthier individual will have multiple wives. As we know, polygamy, which is its own discussion, something I spoke about earlier this year, but in addition to polygamy, you would have uh, someone, more like a king, uh, would have uh, his main wives and then the pilagshim on the side. Uh, Moving beyond that context, over time you have the concept of a mistress, where someone's married primarily to one wife but has uh, someone else on the side, and then, of course, you have what's called today you know, boyfriend girlfriend, where they might be exclusive to each other, but it's still falling short of making it official and that's essentially what this section is about different variations on this concept of people living together, but there is no uh there's no condition and there's no marriage of any kind and the question here will be, can we say that there was condition? We say, you know, obviously we already learned from the Rivash that the Psaqalok that he was going with was that people that act in of Prutzim When you're dealing with people like that, there's less of a reason to think that they're and you wouldn't attribute that kind of kavana to these types of people. But really the question of the pilegesh is a discussion in Yeshain and in its own right. Obviously there's a related question, whether Torah is even matter for the average person to have a Pelegesh in whichever sense we're talking about and uh, there's some Yishayim that may have said yes, That we're not getting into that at all, but the discussion indicates that this was uh, a question. He quotes that Tzedel Adairach as saying "Shirabu Ba And of course that could be a different question because a person might be intending to make the union of Pelegesh in the Torah, in which case The person doing it might even think he's supposed to do Kiddushin. But that's not what we're talking about. That's not what he's talking about. We're talking about people who are intending to live together, perhaps short-term, perhaps long-term, but outside the framework of marriage. And then the question is, how does other Gait feel about that? And are we going to attribute Kiddushin here or not? And apparently, as it turns out, it seems that uh, situations like this were more common in the distant past than you may have expected. Now, I'm not going to go through all the material here either, but I'll quote selected examples that he mentions. Uh, the first one, we return once again to the family of the Rashbats, the Rashbats' is, uh, descendant, Reb Tzemach, the son of the Rashbash. Again, Shut Yachun Bayaz, he discusses a scenario in which a Yid came to North Africa from Portugal, and he brought along this woman, who wasn't Jewish and she was in this Geyer in North Africa, and they were just living together without Kedush without a And then he uh, he ran off and left her behind. And now, ah, does she need a Gad? What's the situation? And Rabb Tzemach says, I don't think there was Ishus, there was no Kenyan here, even though they lived together and uh, were together, but that's not a Kenyan, and uh, there's no Yichud here with Adam. He didn't say that Mechidash would be a zoo. So that was his argument in that case, but it's just interesting also to see the kind of situations that were taking place already back then. Trumas in Ashkenaz also has a question, We're not going to get into all the details, but he also makes the point that uh, to say that skipping ahead to the Khavisyar Yor in the late 1600s, he describes a woman showed up in a certain community, and she uh, she was dressed like a married Yiddish woman, and she was in the company of this man, and they were acting like husband and wife, and the host who was hosting them believed them and gave them a room together. I think in one of the stories involving the Baal Shemtev, I don't know if it's an emos, it might be one of the Shepo stories, but... I think there's this Prat where in the story they say that there was a certain Malchus Eurek who was very Macbid, that if a husband and wife, a man and woman showed up together on the road in Eastern Europe 250 years ago, he dafka was, did not believe that they were actually married and he would insist that they had to sleep in separate rooms. So apparently, just from that story itself, you get a bit of a sense as to the kind of things that might have been happening when you just had random people wandering together from place to place. At any rate, in this situation, the person, the host, did trust and did give them a room, but then someone showed up from Hamburg and said, Wait a second, I know who she is, this this story doesn't add up, and she admitted that she was just uh, on the road, or at least this guy was on the road, and uh, they bumped into each other and uh, he offered her uh, various articles of clothing and she she sort of agreed that they will uh, live together and do their thing together at least for as long as they're on the road on this trip and to the extent that she was acting as if uh, she was his wife but they knew that this was, as of now, really more of a short-term thing with him promising perhaps that it will turn into a long-term thing and now at this point the whole thing was exposed and... (laughs) <laughs> he says, Apparently she was uh, an attractive catch, regardless of the the, the, the circumstances in which she had uh, shown up. And uh, people actually wanted to marry her. Now that Charlotte was, meanwhile, that other guy, the blial had moved along. So this uh, seems like it was uh, somewhat of the nature of the types of things going on with people, itinerant people, wandering from place to place. And uh, he had moved on, and disappeared, and now the shiloh is, Chavis says, What's the story with this woman? So, part of the shiloh here is it's a cycle in Allah There's this idea that if you act married and people regard you and know you to be married, then we just accept that chazaka as reality. But he argues that there wasn't enough uh, time, enough here to create that chazaka. But what about? I think we already alluded to this in the rivash. That uh, of course was we've been aware for many, many hundreds of years, if not thousands, that uh, there are many short-term or one-time encounters between people and we never uh, held those uh, encounters to the standard of uh, maybe this kedushin, maybe need a get from that. So based on the dynamic, based on the nature of this interaction, this connection between these two, he didn't see it being a case where there's a shayla of kedushin and she doesn't need a get. Moving along here, another tshuva he quotes, among others, is from the Tzanaq and I think Rabbi Shuchat was actually discussing this tshuva in a share this week in the context of Simen Yud. the Temaq was asked about a man who had a mistress on the side. He was married, he had a family, and he found another woman who was willing to be exclusive to him, but in addition to his uh, real family. And he even had an apartment for her, and he'd go and come there as he pleased, and there was even a daughter born from that relationship. This went on for 10 years, essentially a Pelegesh in the sense of a mistress, and now uh, she wants to move on and settle down and have a proper marriage and the Shailah was whether a get was required and the Tzemach Tzedek gets into this whole suya and the Tzemach Tzedek is uh, that the Pelegesh even without condition might require a get and then the Tzemach Tzedek adds that there's also the the social factor is, uh, is relevant here because Unlike some of these earlier Makaitis in, in Spain, where different uh, sources seem to say that, oh, there's plenty of people with Pilaxim, it certainly wasn't the case uh, in Eastern Europe. So, so, you can still say that, So, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't uh, accepted socially, it wasn't accepted halakhically. Uh, So for that reason, the Temaht Tzedek said preferably he should write a get but and don't make a big deal about it and then she can get married So that's the Temaht Tzedek And then as we enter the more modern era we start seeing uh, many more uh, Shilas that uh, resemble scenarios that we have today Kovna was asked in the year 1876, there was a woman who wanted to marry a soldier, and they moved in immediately in Rostov, they were living together as husband and wife without a hope and condition. and then they, they figured, hey, let's actually get married, but for whatever reason, at that point you had the, the Rav Mitam, the government had stopped recognizing the standard regular from Rabbanim, they had the government appointed Rabbanim, as we know, Sometimes those are abundant more more from sometimes they were less. At any rate, you had to go through the government-sanctioned rabbinic authority. Uh, they did not get approved for whatever reason, so they just moved elsewhere and just showed up and pretended that they had been married, and no one had any idea. She even wrote to her father that she'd gotten married properly, and then at some point, uh, I guess perhaps uh, some might say as expected, considering the lack of a proper framework, ultimately the man ran off and she returned home, and at this point she was pregnant and she had a son, and now the child was, what do we what do we say here? And Abitzharan said that we have to investigate if there was a chazaka, that chazaka factor that the Khavisira mentioned, that if you live together as husband and wife, if you lie and claim that you're husband and wife for long enough, Halacha might recognize that Chazaka as powerful enough that we don't believe you anymore. And then you need to get based on the story you told people this is marsham uh, has a shaila discusses uh, someone where there was a marriage there was a kedushan but uh, this is i'm not sure which kingdom which state this is in but uh, it sounds like the rabbi was both government appointed and uh, either reform or at least not orthodox enough for the marsham and the uh, shaila was After they had lived together, they had four children, and then the husband went completely off and became a Mishumid, and then he ended up getting caught up in legal problems, and he got sent to Siberia, so I guess this is within the Russian Empire, and uh, that was the kind of rav we're talking about, but a very irreligious uh, variety of the government-sanctioned rabbi, and uh, the shayla was... Is she an aguna now or not? And the Marsham said, uh, he's not Makabul, like at this roof's kedushin is any kedushin. and I they live together as husband and wife says, Oh, we can invoke the rivash. Now when you go and you do the wrong thing when you don't get married according to Allah, when you go and get married in the church, so Zoe, that tells us that you don't want kedushin. So to the Marsham, this rov was trafe enough that going to this road for kedushin was like saying I don't want to have kedushin. and Zoe, even living together they shouldn't count as kedushin. He has additional stories and chuvas here from Nezer, from the Devir Malkiel, from Luvashemarotchai. We don't have time; we can't go through all of them. Uh, then he himself is mitzayin just to a string of shells and chuvas that are, uh, I guess, for additional homework for those interested, uh, which we're certainly not getting into. Yeah, he just makes one point at the end that, from his perspective and his view. It seems that in early generations, uh, when people uh, were just living together like that, it seems like, uh, in his opinion, no one seemed to be chayshish mishim Kadush and ishras, and as time goes on, it seems like they're being chayshish more, he quotes the Says, so to him, that's heading in a more direction. Uh, a, maybe this is a good time to uh, add a disclaimer that in going through this material, this is uh, purely for getting the historical perspective, purely for understanding how history has shaped how marriage looks, how the Shilas relating to marriage look, what that the uh, halachic discussion looks like. But this is definitely a lot further away from getting any clear sense of what halacha in these situations would be. I wouldn't rely on the, the presentation in this type of work. Uh, if I were to be giving a proper halachic shiur, I wouldn't say you should paskin from the shiurim, but I would definitely put in the effort to ensure that the presentation would come very close to my impression as to what the actual halachic landscape today is. There would be an objective we'd be trying to get towards a certain maskana. Uh, In this particular context, in going through a work like this and presenting the information uh, like this, as it stands right now, you you should not assume that you have gotten any true hard halakhic insight into what the uh, halakhis in these situations would be. Uh, perhaps in the course of continuing and fleshing out uh, these themes, we might get to there, we may not, but this is really just for the uh, the history and the history of the halacha, and to get the historical perspective, as opposed to a true, pure halachic perspective. Now, at long last, we reach the final portion of this discussion, of this overview of kedushin and Hisu'in, and we finally get to the actual part that was relevant to the topic we began with, which is civil marriage alright, we were learning Ebeda Ezer, and Tezaim we saw the discussion about the Goyim having Ish ish or not and from there we got to the Rivosh who mentions it in the context of his discussion of Yidin getting married, Sholei Kedas Yisrael and from the Rivosh we got to the Chalkaz Yaakov who cited the Rivosh in his discussions in the context of civil marriage and now we've gone through the whole history, we back backed all the whole way to the beginning of the uh, Seder Kiddush and and all the problems throughout the generations, and now we reach the recent generations, and this large problem that arose, which of course ties into the question of Kiddushan, as to whether there are Kiddushan in these scenarios. And this section, so he's in his, Freiman is in his Tkufa Revius. And in the Tkufa we're in the section on Zivuk and Shalei And in that section, specifically, we are in the fourth part on Nisuin Ezrachim. Now, this sub-subsection is divided into a few sub-sub-subsections of its own. And just to give you a sense of where we're going, he has Yunim Harishonim, the first such discussions that predate when the subject really erupted in earnest. And then he goes through Hungary, Soviet Union... America, and other lands. So let's take a look now at how he summarizes, or how he provides an overview of this topic in halacha. So, as it turns out, the very first discussion about civil marriage is just a bit earlier than you might have expected. He says, the first country that introduced civil marriage as an option was Holland in the year 1580. Now, the first Shaila did not arise that early, but in the year 1741, Tufk of Aleph, which is still earlier than you would expect, we find in the Portuguese community in Amsterdam the, there was a publication pre-Eitz Chaim, one of the first koevitzim, or perhaps they say it's the first koevitz in halacha, a koevitz where people could contribute, con, ha, conduct discussions among various members of the yeshiva, and I suppose they shared it with the public at large, so, a lot of firsts here. So, in this kovitz prietzheim from 1741, they uh, they published the following question and the following discussion. And the question, in short, is that Yechanan haparitz. Someone by the name of Yechanan, who was uh, no good, was already married. And he traveled to another city, and he got engaged to another woman. He claimed he was single. They discovered he wasn't. So the parnosim, who were in charge of uh, Jewish affairs, did not allow him to marry her to conduct a Jewish marriage. Ah, but now there's another option. This is uh, Holland. This is the Netherlands. So he went, and they got married. shall go in. And the Parnassim, of course, were furious, and they tried to sanction him, but he remained living with her, married to her for a long time, for years, and she was from, she went to the mikveh. Then at some point he regretted these actions, and he abandoned... This woman and returned to his original city and returned to his original wife. And now, the second woman appeared before the Maimids, before the Jewish leadership, to ask for a shos, for her to be freed, for her to move on, because they never work a just the civil marriage in the Rakar Goyim, And according to civil marriage, if they discover that uh, the person was, a, was married to someone else previously, uh, so they'll punish him, they'll sanction him, and he has to return to his first wife, and the second one is free to go. That's how their rules work. So she would also like to be free to go, according to Yiddish law as well, and no, we should give her a shush, and now the is, she's an agunna, what's the story? Uh, do we say that we're adi Yichud and hainin adi Yichud, hainin adi Bia she's an hsish, or do we say that uh, no, he was neskavin to be ilaznus? There is no be Hashem shim to be nos. she's not mikudashus. So the Bala Chuva, the Tshuva is signed by Shmur de Deshlema HaKatan. Uh, the name comes up as someone who was involved in, in publishing in Amsterdam at some point, uh, otherwise not necessarily a major brand name. But he wrote this Tshuva, and he writes, you know, Ideally, we should track this guy down, this paritz, this uh, troublemaker down, and get to the bottom of the story. Because, ultimately, it doesn't look right. He says, So, ideally, we would uh, prefer to arrange a get uh, between the two of them, and surely we can get on his case, and he'll agree. Why would he just want to be Ma agin her? However, he says, If, for whatever reason, we can't track him down, if we can't get to the bottom of it, Hadas noite seem reasonable to say that she's exempt and let her marry someone else because, you know, the Ma'ayi no, is, is only really in the context of a marriage, or a proper marriage, and then there's a divorce, we don't just assume this condition without any context, and why should we be her if there was no condition? It's like a pannoy habol any two people that uh, are together, and Dr. Tzu, he mentions Aitam, the, the fact that he was going against Yiddishkeit, and he Invokes the Rivash, Rivash is When you go against Yiddish guide, so that tells you what you need to know. Of course, it's not exactly the same situation here. There are the Roranusim, here not. But this is still. And in fact, the community there had ostracized him. They couldn't put him in per se, but they uh, kept him at arm's length. And uh, also, the same Vard of Seifa, he, he, look how he behaved in the end. He abandoned her. So, That's not the mindset of Kiddush, that's the mindset of taking advantage of people. So, uh, that's the thrust of the response to what may have been the first Shailah in history concerning, specifically, civil marriage. The next stop is Germany in the 1870s, with a tshuva from one of the robotmen in Hungary at the time, Ram Shik. Earlier I mentioned that I remembered that the discussion in Hungary began in the 1870s, but what I'm seeing now, apparently from here is that the discussion really arrived in Hungary in the 1890s, and it began in Germany in the 1870s, when Ram in Hungary was responding to a Shaila from Germany. At any rate, 1875 was introduced in Germany, and Madame Schick got a question from Hanover about women who were, who were already getting married through civil marriage without Kiddushin, just with uh, civil documents, and Ram Schick answered, according to the straight precedent, that the alma that the Mumar and mumeres that married according to Gaisha Law, it's nospe alma so who cares if it's this nemos if it's that nemos Christian civil certainly wouldn't say ain't no the maisa bilase about people like these he goes as far as saying that even if they were mechavan l'shem kedushin would be kedushin he concludes kach nearly la if it actually came before me I would want to think about it a bit more. And he points out that there was another Rav in, in Tirna at the time who already voiced the concern that maybe we should be Mahmer. And he argued that the Rivash is talking about Mama Shagalach, and there are no Kashri Yidin. Masha today, maybe we should look at it differently. And the final, quote-unquote, early source that he mentions, which isn't so early anymore, is the Redvaz. The Rav Rabbi Yaakov David, the Redvaz, who was in Chicago in 1904, Rav Veltz in Chalkos Yaakov already mentioned this source. So I am not going to repeat it, but he mentions this source here before he moves on to the big discussion in Hungary. So the big discussion in Hungary, as he says, began in the 1890s. It took a few years for the law to pass, but it passed in 1896, and that sparked a really, really large discussion, which was, I was referencing earlier, and Rav Veltz was citing from as well, so let's take a look. And he divides this into Das Hamatidim and Deos Hamachmidim. The first source he mentions is the which was in fact also cited by Revelts, and the Tshuva of Shom Kutna of Eisenstadt, which was cited by Revelts as well as the Haskama of Bitzchak Shmalkes of Lvov, which was also cited by Revelts. So I'm not going to repeat that once again. Another interesting Savada says so from Arya Kain Weiss of Chernovitz in Shut Evan Yekata, he says, In addition, the Isha can't be Miskadashas from a bia Shil Iser. And in this case, not just our and and our from Iser Nida. Remember, Thakadur also mentioned that as a factor. I don't know if it's quite exactly the way he's using it, but Rivash did mention that. So they're not being Nizer from Iser Nida, so the the Gansa bia is nishkin Biyash, that could be a uh, Biyash for kiddushin. Now he moves on to the next kuntres. Now this kuntres was mentioned as well by Rabbi Veltz, but he didn't mention who. It said, Rabbi Veltz wrote, Gamma davar munka I was of wondering who it was. I hadn't gotten around to looking it up. But here we see clearly, he says, Moshe Shmuel Glasner, the of Veltz expressed an original opinion in his special kuntres on this topic, and we already mentioned his argument, his argument was is that based on everything we know about women today, the, women, the wo- a woman has to agree to be miskadeshes as well, and everything we know about what they want in marriage and the rights that they want, surely they would not want kiddushin because that would lock them in halachic marriage, which they would probably want to avoid, so that itself should be a reason to say that she was not Machavan to be miskadeshes, and that should solve this problem and solve the concern. The next source he cites is an interesting one of Shlemetsvishik of Kartsug, the Rajban, as he called himself. I once quoted him in a shir uh, about uh, Mekiris that you are allowed or not allowed to quote, and ironically, he's a mucker that the more carnoistic communities still today who hail from Hungary would refuse to quote. At any rate, and I believe he was a status quo rabbi, not... Uh, committed to orthodox and anti-reform, but yet in this quote in Ashban, he says we have to have total separation from these Rishayim who are disgracing Taira and are refusing Chuppah and Kiddushin we have to declare that surely there's no Kiddushah according to Yiddishkei and Chachamim can come and say that even if we had the Kavan of Kiddushin we would still reject it as a gather in a Siog which is an interesting argument Moving along now to the deus samachmidim, so Veltz mentioned that in the kuntrus Yoshev Mitzarev from the So he kind of wrote very bekitzer that the uh, Lavush had some chashoshes. but the oil of Ram responded and said that there's no tabas, there's no. So who's oil of Ram, and, and what did the Yoshev Mitzarev say? So here in this presentation, it's a bit clearer. The oil of Ram is a Bavram Akain Karpalas And he said that once civil marriage becomes obligatory, essentially everything has to go through the government offices, regardless of how you get married. It's harder to say that everyone who goes to court is now doth going and doing the opposite. They're doing it the issue, they're going, could be, right, just like here in New York, every uh, from couple that gets married... You have two things to you have to do. You have to go get the and condition. but you also have to go down to the city clerk, to the marriage bureau, and you have to get your marriage license, your marriage certificate. So, uh, right, imagine a scenario in which uh, sometimes people actually go and do the civil marriage first, I believe. I don't think anyone's ever been either and made a huge, huge deal out of that you shouldn't go and get civilly married before you get uh, Jewishly married. Maybe there is a basis, to actually, to be sensitive, and maybe not to do that. But uh, I believe I've heard it come up in conversation, oh, maybe let's just go get uh, legally married first, and then we'll go get uh, the Chup and condition. obviously we don't, run out not of the legal marriage It's just a formality. But Bavram uh, Karpala says, so what if uh, you had a mind to go do both, and uh, then you just never ended up getting around to the Jewish part. You didn't have the the money, you couldn't afford it, so something came up. And uh, then, maybe over time, they even did tshuva, and uh, they were talking of being more mechav and L'Shem Kiddushin, so the, the religious state that they were in originally isn't fixed, things can change. And I believe we mentioned that svaris like that did come up, even many hundreds of years ago with the Christian marriage, Islamic marriage, that it all really depends on the mindset that they were in. And there was a yesoite, I think, even back then to say that uh, you know, if it looks like they could have meant well, then there's more reason to give them that credit, that benefit of the doubt, and attribute more noble intentions to them, which in this case would cause a problem by saying that maybe they were ma'chav on Hashem So because of these arguments, because of the context in which this is taking place now, you can't uh, just go and say, oh, Rishoyim, Rishoyim. No, Rishoyim, oh, Rishoyim. And Rebazoi, he says, you shouldn't just go be Masada Kedushin for someone who was previously married through a kohes and didn't get a get, and it needs a serious child chacham. And now comes Lavush Marthay, Chaim, Vinkler, Winkler, who printed uh, Yashav Mitzarev, invites in Tafnish Samach. He was also concerned that what if they exchange rings, which is a ceremony you hear about these days, could that be, and they're talking about marriage, so could that be like discussing this kedushin? and then he gives her something, and there's also a there's a contract to, to that, as Rabbi Velts also quoted, the oil ram Ram Karpos, responded that, no, 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 there's no Tabas, and there's no Shtar in the civil ceremony. So that, in a nutshell, was the discussion in Hungary, and there was never, apparently, any major hakhra after the law went into effect, although at least you can judge him by Rabbi Veltz, he seemed to summarize his presentation, his summary of the discussion, leaned very heavily towards summarizing the matirim. So at least that was his impression, uh, his version of events. We now move along to the next major discussion, which took place in the Soviet Union. After the uh, advent, after the beginning of the Soviet Union post-World War One. And here you have millions and millions of Yidin, and they're trapped in this uh, very anti-religious system. And obviously that means that immediately many more Yidin are probably not going to do a chuppah v'kiddushim, as of course we know today, with many people who have emerged from the former Soviet Union, and often you you hear of uh, ceremonies being conducted many decades after their marriage to finally give them a chuppah v'kiddushim, etc., so that's an issue that began immediately. Freiman says they seem to have been unaware that this discussion had ever come up before. The Rabbanim and Russia were not up to date on the latest discussions in Hungary. But you end up seeing the Rabbanim broadly go in the same two directions. So again, starting with the Das quotes a Rav by the name of a Mordechai Doiv Edelberg, Rav Nikolaev, and Shut Chazayn Lamayed. So he starts by saying that the Pashtas, they're not Kshedim, so we wouldn't uh, say, you know, says, however, there may be a certain number of women, since this happened so immediately, so suddenly, you may have a large number of women who got married properly, five years ago, ten years ago, decades ago, and now with a new system in place, they may have left their marriages through civil divorce. So, if a woman shows up with a civil divorce, you have a, chashash, a different, chashash, which is, how did she get married? Bichlau? So, if you know they got married with civil marriage, then he doesn't see the problem. But if you don't know how they got married, so now you need to investigate. Another role was Eliad and who was a rov in Kharkov. He was asked in 1924, it's printed in Shut Eliad. The Rav writing to him wanted to be chayshish, perhaps, that we say, and Malikovsky responded and said that uh, the same argument, the uh, rule applies to Kshedim. These are not Kshedim, these are Prutzim, it's just like the Rivash. It's no Cheshash of Kiddushin. He does conclude, however, that since this is a question on such a major scale, that we really need G'dali Yisrael, G'dali Hadar to uh, all get on board with, a, with an approach. The next source is actually from an early issue of the journal, the Halachic Journal in America, HaPardis. HaPardis was originally printed by Rabbi Pardis from Chicago. It was a Chicago kovitz for many years, and at some point Rabbi Elberg joined, and it said on the Scharblatt on the first page, New York and Chicago, and then at some point Rabbi Elberg uh, assumed all responsibilities, and then it became a Brooklyn kovitz. But back in 1934, in year Ches. Uh, issues number 3 and 4 there was this discussion on this topic concerning the Soviet Union and there was the Serov of Horowitz who responded to someone who was considering being machmir and he, Moshe Horowitz said I'm taken aback that you'd consider being machmir what that essentially means, functionally you're taking a huge chunk of Klai Israel and you're putting them in the same category as Karoim, We know you're not allowed to marry, the standard Allah is, you're not allowed to marry Karoim because of Echshash Mamzeros, so and now you're taking the entire Soviet Jewry and you turn them into Karayim, we're going to be completely severed, disconnected from such a large part of Klai Yisrael, that's, that's terrible. And he goes on to argue and explain that you want to see this Kiddushan, there has to be a Kavanah of Kiddushin. What's Kavanah of Kidushin? That you want to have the effect the outcome of kedushin kedas Meshav Yisrael. What is the outcome of that? That she's completely tied to him, and she's ushered every person and all the pratim, all the halachas of uh, marriage of Ishus according to halacha, and that's all. This li- thus out when you say that both both sides, both parties agree to get married kedas Meshav Yisrael. He says, look at the people getting married. Is that is that what they're thinking? Is that their mindset? The mindset is that she's tied to him for the rest of her life, and that she's ushered to others. She can always leave, she can leave whenever she wants, she can uh, end the marriage without his agreement. This is a shutfuz, it's a partnership, it's a financial partnership between two people. A shutfuz built on taiva, and on raising children. That's what it is, it's a totally different agreement, a totally different arrangement than what Jewish marriage is all about. And even when they're living together, is the law forbid her from adultery? Not necessarily, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So, certainly no, ain't no other to be lost or be lost here, and there's no problem. Another Rav of Zev Tversky, writing in the Torah Journal Yerushalayim, makes an interesting point. He says, the way he sees it, it's the hashgachas Hashem Hashem came to save this Dor parot from amzeros. Because we know women will just walk out on their husband. We know women will just opt for civil divorce. So if there was Kiddushim previously, you know many Mamzadim that would create, etc. Or if after her marriage to her husband she then goes and marries his brother, one of the uh, Arias, so weiter the children will be Mamzadim. But now because they that they're getting married in an oifim, where they're not really married, it's uh, just a pilagesh. So there's no chashash Mamzar, she's not an aguna, so in a way he saw it as Hashem's hand in uh, minimizing problems that could be much, much worse. And we conclude this section, the Matirim, with Reb Chaim Ezer Gredzensky. So that's the another mucker that Rabbi Veltz cited. So now we can understand a bit more of the context of these different sources. We saw all the Hungarian sources in their context. And now Reb Chaim Ezer, who's not part of that discussion, he's part of this Soviet Union discussion. And he was asked... And as we cited previously, he said, "Even mutaris Lakayan, because Habala pnuya loyasa zaina That was Rub Chaim Eysir's p'sak. And now we understand where the Rogatchover is coming from. Now we move on to the Kat HaEisreim, and who's the leader of the Kat HaEisreim in this discussion? That is the Rogatchover responding to the Mitzvahs in Russia, and he wrote various Shuvas. The main one, which we mentioned earlier, was the one in which he said that she needs to get, not Mitzad mamzados, or anything like that, but he holds as another gather in Isho's, v'davak be'ishtoy, as we discussed. There are also other Chuvas apparently, which he seems to go even further. But as we mentioned, all the way, way back when, Yeragacheva was not the only one, and another name that comes up is Yudelip Tsitilson of Kishinev. I believe I quoted him once in a sheer... Pesach, and Shutmar Shod he expressed his view that it doesn't look right. We saw this concern in Holland. It doesn't look right when you have a couple living together, and all of a sudden they just move on. Each one goes their separate ways. It looks like Shalayem uh, is a line in Gemara. Shalayem is a and he invoked the Chashash of Kedushibia and the Chashash of Kedosh So there were others that also had somewhat of an etiyah l'chumrah in this discussion. Freiman then cites a few intermediate views. Of those, we will cite Rabbi Huduleyb Don Yichye, who I believe I actually mentioned this year in the beginning, in the She'er on Israim, because he had an interesting Makkah regarding Israim from different locations. At any rate, Rabbi Huduleyb Don Yichye wrote, and he said, Who are we talking about over here? We're talking about communists! Communists, B'nei HaMaflog HaAzais, they don't believe in Tenim HaNashem, they don't believe in Das Ma'yeshev Yisrael. Surely they're not having any K'von HaLashem Kiddushim. But then he adds, but I have to clarify, because I heard there are some cart-carrying Communist Party members who simply don't have a source of parnassa, and that's why they are members of the Party, but to say Saliba, HaMamim HaMashem So these people, maybe they did Kiddushim secretly, or the are Mechav HaLashem Kiddushim, so you would have to investigate who is the husband and fry? I don't believe, then you should be mad the Yishuvah Makam Egan Or are we talking about someone who's just a communist for appearance sake? but He does believe in so you'd have to tell him, but to also write a get, and no one else should know about it. But he was even a little iffy on his heter for the real hardcore communists, and he ended off with a tsarechion, lay iser, lay heter, That was his stance on the topic. So you see some of that uncertainty or nuance that we saw in Hungary as well, that you can't uh, generalize, you can't just lump everyone together. There are different types of people with different types of intentions. We now get to Freyman's discussion of the debate in America. He mentions that he he quoted the Rydbas earlier, and it's in a different category, because by the time the discussion began in earnest in America, it had been long since the Rudbaz and Rudbaz's stance had been forgotten. Now, the problem here is that Freiman wrote this book in the 40s, and that's kind of still in the middle of the Parsha. Ramesha Feinstein hadn't fully arrived on the scene yet, so a discussion of uh, this argument in America with Ramesha is uh, a bit lacking, so it was a bit pre- premature to summarize. But he still has some equities, Rav Henkin had already gone on the record, so... As the Reish HaMathirim, he quotes, he cites Bavram Levitz, the Bavram Aranyu Delevitz, the base Av, who was, of course, Taka, one of the great Rabunim in America pre-our era, and, of course, he was also tied to various controversies at the time, we're not going to get into all of that right now, but the Bavram Aranyu Delevitz, when asked about this, said, I mean, of course, you have all this precedent, Rivash, etc., you have the Maram Shik already, who said, Malini Mosea, Malini Muzah.' of course, the Nabim Mechaven, to Yiddishkeit to the opposite now you're going to say the general questions, the general concern that some mentioned, that it looks like an ish ish, is through divorce Adarabah, he says if you require a get that the message that sends everyone is that getting married in court is true marriage according to Yiddishkeit, you don't need Kiddushin but I did you require a get so in his view no get for civil marriage in court other early American Rabbanim that he quotes are Yaakov and Sina, Mendelson of Newark, Yasef Zusmanovich in Slobotka, Riding to America, and Reb Chaim Fischl Epstein in St. Louis. I'm not going to go through the details of everything they say, but those are some other names. It's just worth mentioning their names and remembering them for a moment. Then he moves on to the Mahmirim. So one is Upsho Shochet of Chicago, but the main one for our purposes, is Rav Yasef Elia Henkin from New York, and he responded in great detail in Apardis at that time, and he argued very forcefully. that the issue we saw a while back, much earlier, that sometimes there's an issue of chazaka, right? When a couple shows up and they don't disclose that they're not married properly. So the cyclin ala chazakas, when people are seen living together, they're presumed to, to be married properly, so he argued that that even applies in cases where we know they went to arkahis. The chazaka of living together is a chazaka of ishes ish, ish, and we're all adam. And the fact that there's arkahis in the picture doesn't take away from that. Doesn't take away from that chazaka. He also argues that since giving a ring is always part of the ceremony, at whichever stage could be at the engagement, but uh, there's a ring. The man the groom gives the bride a ring here in America, say, that should count Taka as Kiddushin, and if they gave the ring in front of Adem, then you need to get... So for this and for other reasons, he concluded, You can't call that a Pilegash, that's a Shifcha, without Zchuyas. Ay where's the Kiddushin? So he literally constructed this whole framework through which all the details somehow all come together to te- to say that, of course, if you live together as husband and wife, then it's haste to husband and wife, and you need to get. As we said, he wrote this in Apardis, he also wrote about it in his Sefer Ivra. That is Rabenkin's famous stance. Now does go on for a bit longer, quotes a few other sources in America, then goes on to other countries. We have to wind down here. We've covered more than enough. We certainly got a very important context to understand where a bunch of these Macaires that we were mentioning Bikitzer, where they all came from, where they all fit in, etc. In conclusion, I just want to mention, as I mentioned at the beginning, there were a number of directions that I could have taken this follow-up in, following up on the previous discussion of the Rivash and the Raghatshavar, etc. So I mentioned that there are specific discussions and treatments that elaborate on the Raghatshavar's ideas. I just want to mention in a minute or two what some of those discussions are. I'm not saying we're going to continue and follow up now with uh, part three, but at least just putting it out there that this information, these discussions are there. In Tavshim and there was a journal, A'iraisa. Printed in Netanya, and in the to Journal, uh, number Tezvav, there's an essay by Rabbi Zekharyn Shapiro, Rosh Hashiva, Haifa, Netanya. Sheelas nisum is and he goes through and breaks it down: kedushin midin star, kedushin midin huziku, kedushin midin Pilagash, kedushin midin yod, etc more sections, he even has a section where he quotes the Raga Chavis, Chavis and adds his Pianuchim. And speaking of the Raga Tshavah's on this topic and Pianuchim, so you have Rabbi Mendel Tenenbaum, uh, Labavacher, who spent a lot of effort publicizing the Torah of the Raga one of those people that are into editing the Torah of the Raga to make it more accessible. And back in Tavshim Shemem not that long after, he printed a special kontras, Nisuim Ezrochim, and Mishnasai Shel HaRagad Shavizal, Pianuach of six Chuvas of the Raghad Shavah, about Nisuim Ezrochim, and there's this whole kontras of about 60 pages, and then at the end, he actually has a Lumdish summary summary, and Yonim Shel HaRagad at Kan, where he summarizes the raid of the Raghad from these six Chuvas and some of the nyonim that he elaborated on in his 300 HaArs. And with that, we conclude for now our very, very lengthy discussion of this vart, this hagdara, of the dovak beishtoi, which may or may not be the basis for an isser, for being on an aishis ish of a benayach, and may or may not be the basis for a, a category that Raghad argues exists, even when there is just civil marriage.